Welcome to Bridging the Gap. I'm your host, Marianne Rose. You are about to embark on a relevant and timely journey of thought with registered psychologist, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Thank you for tuning in and expect to be enlightened right now. Well, hey there, Cyrus. It's great to see you. Well, it's good to see you too. It's good to be here with you. Another great day to do some radio. So thankful. Mm-hmm. Always, every time. It's much appreciated that we get to have these conversations. I'm super passionate about helping people. Mm-hmm. And this particular area of helping people that we're talking about today is a big one because we all need to know how to handle adversity. Mm. And this would be anticipated calamity. Yeah, how do you manage big stress? We've been in big stress. You know, right now we're in the COVID stuff, but there's always stress. Like there's always something that could happen, mm-hmm. something around the corner, something that could change your life very suddenly. It happens all the time. And I hear people come, you know, I'm a psychologist, so people come here. They talk to me when they're experiencing big stress. And one of the things to talk about maybe is stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. That's maybe the first thing to say. I normally break it up into two words. One would be your level of activation, like how physiologically activated you are. And then the other one would be to say how stressed you are. Because sometimes you want to be activated. You want to be engaged in things. And so if you're too under-activated or too over-activated, then you can get stressed And our need to be activated goes up when we're in a crisis. Yes. For example, I remember myself first hearing about the news of the pandemic, the announcement that we were going to experience global shutdown. And one of the first things that happened was empty rows and rows in all the grocery stores of Mm. toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) That felt like a calamity. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. I remember that too. I remember... I remember the debates about are you a hoarder or are you just getting what you need and should you stock up or should you... Yeah, it was stressful. Right. Preparing yeah. for calamity, mm-hmm. preparing for <laughs> the apocalypse is what it felt like for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. you know. And I think that that's wise to have some kind of system mm-hmm. trained in your body to mm-hmm. be able to handle the announcement of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And I know that may sound really extreme. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's wise to be prepared so that it doesn't hit you so hard mm. when that that happened when that announcement came people mm-hmm. were crushed yes and didn't know how to get out of that all of a sudden like they walked into a dark 20 mm-hmm. foot hole mm-hmm. and then felt stuck there for a year yeah that, that question of how do you become somebody who can actually respond and not be overwhelmed and so to understand like it's okay to experience that physiological activation that's a good thing it's there to help you I mean when you have to run to go and get that toilet paper you want to run you know (laughs) you want to go and get it so you know there is a time to run there is a time to have that that activation to get a lot of things done I remember also the early stages in the pandemic and with my business and my family and everything and I just remember working long long hours and so that activation was good and your body's okay with that your body will survive you don't have to be worried about that because your body's made to have a turbo in it and that's okay it's when it's chronic that it becomes harmful but going to the main point which is how do you actually not get stuck in a situation like that how do you actually feel prepared and like I know what to do and we see this in people often if you're watching people in the military or things like that Uh, I remember talking to somebody in the military this wasn't in my clinic but just a, a friend 
and I was so shocked. He wanted war. I mean, he in many ways he didn't want war because war is terrible. But the way he worded it was, well, when I think about war, he would say, I have some professional excitement because this is what he's trained for. This is what he was prepared for. And he knows that war is terrible and that we don't really want war, but this is what he's lived his life to be ready for. And so he doesn't experience that dread. In fact, he's excited about it. So you don't even have to get to a place where you're experiencing dread about calamity. You can actually get to a place where you're actually looking forward to it amazingly. That's how different our brains can work when we're talking about one person experiencing being overwhelmed and other person experiencing excitement. That's how different the human brain can be. <laughs> that is very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a certain level of excitement that's certainly unhealthy. Somebody who <laughs> wants to do harm and is coming from a place of destructive energy and just playing way too many video games. No, I don't know what actually causes that. It's, I have lots of friends who play crazy video games and they're normal. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> no, you're right. And, and you know, you're not that far off with the video game. There's actually research that's been done about this, about people more famous or popular, became more well-known during this pandemic, was research about how to handle calamity and people who did well. And one of them was about how people who watched more apocalyptic movies were more prepared for the pandemic. They experienced less stress. They were more adaptive yeah. during the pandemic. So there's a sense of training and realizing that these types of horrors can happen in our society. And even mm -hmm. in Canada, for example, more of the southern parts of our country, we have experienced, at least in the prairies, tornadoes. Mm. So that's something that's like an emergency mm -hmm. preparedness. What kind of wisdom should you gain? Should you look up types of ways to deal with, handle what not to do? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing what our brains can learn to do. And, and one of the challenges around disaster like this is that it's infrequent. Now, obviously, that's good. I'm glad that, that these kinds of terrible, terrible things, I mean, they usually happen in somebody's lifetime, but they don't happen usually that many times. We have lots of things that happen that are stressful, but not many people go through a tornado hitting their home every year. These things are spaced out, which means that when we experience them, they're quite shocking. Like, typically, the way we prepare for something is by living through it and experiencing it and becoming more accustomed to it. Whereas with disaster, we have to prepare for it in our minds. We have to prepare for it by using our imagination, like through story, or by doing things that are similar but not actual, like a video game. Or if somebody was preparing to go to war as a soldier, they would play in war games or things like this. They would do exercises that simulate it but aren't quite it. And this is actually what we do in therapy. When people are experiencing fears of different things, we will try to simulate it either in reality or in their imaginations. Okay, to help you not be surprised. Mm -hmm. And so simulating an event. Mm -hmm. Perhaps someone is not necessarily because of a trauma, but because of a constant fear of the possibility of. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're afraid that they're going to be going to jail one day or they're afraid that they're going to have a disease or they're afraid that they're going to have a huge financial loss or that they're going to have a family member die or there's so many different things that people can fixate on whether they've had close calls with that or maybe not at all they just have it in their mind that this is something that's become a threat for them so there's different levels of where you would say this is irrational or this is something that is rational but regardless it can be immobilizing it can be something that's debilitating for people and yes i think the main thing that we're doing is helping people, usually through this, what we would call exposure therapy, where you would expose people to the threat, and they become accustomed to it. 
Maybe get used to it, even though it's terrible. You can get bored with it if you've lived in it long enough. I'm afraid of a plane, for example. So you get into a plane, you sit in the plane, eventually you fall asleep, even though it was maybe your worst fear. <laughs> if you sit in there long enough, you become bored and tired and will eventually your body will relax because it takes a lot of energy to keep your body activated. And if you go and fall asleep in a plane, the next time you get in a plane, you might still be anxious. But if you fall asleep in it again and again, you will eventually not be afraid of planes anymore. You might still not like them or have positive thoughts about them, but your body won't respond in the same way. You will have trained yourself to deal with a plane. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that with hypotheticals, which is actually pretty incredible. You can do it with your imagination. What's the worst that can happen? Yes. And so you ask yourself that question and dive into several. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's the worst. Yes. And here's, oh no, this is even worse. And But play it out. Mm-hmm. Talk it out. Mm-hmm. Imagine it. And that at one point doesn't sound healthy, but then another aspect of it is. So you don't want to do this chronically where you're continuously examining in constant fear the same difficulty and the same trouble as though it's happening to you or it will happen. Mm-hmm. But to walk it through and then get to the end of that and yes. say, I'm going to be okay. Yes. What people typically do, which aggravates their anxiety, is they'll think about something until they're anxious and then they'll distract themselves. So they'll get into the plane. If I go back to the plane, they'll get into the plane and then they'll become anxious and then they'll run away from the plane. And that'll actually make their anxiety worse because they've gone into the plane. They had a terrible experience. They were terribly anxious. Then they got away from the plane. They felt a lot better away from the plane. So, yeah, it makes them worse because they're like, wow, yeah, planes suck. That was terrible. I can't be near a plane. I get too anxious. But if they go to a plane and, like you said, go right to the end and they stay in the plane until they're relaxed, then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I actually was okay on the plane in the end. I'll give you another example. I was walking with my kids and we were walking behind some houses. There was a forest to our right, but it was really near a city. But my kids were really small. And so they were like, what if there's a bear, Dad? And I said, there might be a bear. And they're like, ah! And, and then they ran behind me. And they're like, yeah, there could be... A, my, my wife wasn't there. She probably wouldn't have let me do this. But anyway, she wasn't there. And so I was able to do my thing with them. And so they were scared and they were behind me and I just kept walking. And it was interesting to watch them because they were afraid. And then all of a sudden they started running out in front of me again. And they were, by the end of the walk, not even... It just actually didn't take very long at all. It took maybe about five, ten minutes. And they were completely comfortable because they were watching me. It was modeling. I, I was showing them that I wasn't afraid. But they were in the presence of their fear for long enough. They didn't get to go home. If I had taken them home, they would have been like, oh, we're never going back in that forest right. again. But if I stayed with them in the forest and they were able to relax there, then all of a sudden they're going to be able to overcome their fear. So you demonstrated a beautiful example. This is super exciting, what you're saying to me right now, because I feel that that is what could help so many people that are isolating and afraid to step out onto the street. In some areas of our city right mm-hmm. now, we have actual mm-hmm. coyotes that are going <laughs> heard into that. people's homes. Oh, wow. Yes, in this city, there's coyote warnings at this time of year, spring, and they're mating, and... <laughs> They're excited about your dog that might not have oh, been dear. fixed yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's real. And actually, here's a really funny one to do with that, too. This is not funny. But I have a small dog, mm. and in our neighboring community, there was a report of somebody who had a small dog mm-hmm. and a very large owl oh. who had swooped into <gasps> their yard. Oh, and no. sorry, I don't oh. want to tell everybody this scary thing, and now everybody's going to be looking up in the air for <laughs> owls when they put their small dogs. But 
this owl mm. had actually tried to swoop. Mm-hmm. And so then I heard that. And about a week later, I'm out in the backyard and it's dark and I'm with my dogs and one of them's a little smaller and there's an owl. Mm. A big old owl. It's probably the neighborhood owl who tried <laughs> swooping into to get that other dog. Hey, dog, these are people's pets. So now I've got this big prayer going that's yes. just like not people's pets. And please help it to be, you know, the benign little woodsy characters, <laughs> creatures that, you know, we don't the rabbits care and mice. about. <laughs> that we're not, we don't have emotional ties to. They're not family members. <laughs> yes. And then I'm also aching for them as well, but especially my own. Well, I should say here that what I'm talking about is to overcome what you would typically call an irrational anxiety. So if you have an actual owl who's actually after your dog, <laughs> don't try to I overcome that not. fear. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's a real... Go out with your dog. Now, <laughs> I'm going out with my dog. My dog does not pee alone. <laughs> so we'll get back to a little bit more of this conversation when we get back from our break. Hey there, we're back, and we are talking about anticipated calamity, mm-hmm. and we are looking to reframe mm-hmm. some of the way we think about this. It's amazing how the way we think about something can really change our emotional response, and when we have a threat that's coming at us, we can think of it as something that is unfair, we can think about it as something that is going to ruin our lives. But you can also think about it differently. You can actually think about it as a challenge. Now, that could seem overwhelming, like, oh my goodness, how do I think about something this difficult as a challenge? But it is possible. For most things, we can reframe them as something to grow through, as something to build ourselves up in order to learn about ourselves, learn about the world. And it's amazing how much that can change our feelings when we're going through different stresses. Well, this is an off thought about reframing actual danger that it's not necessarily your present danger. It's just there in the world. Mm. To the best of my knowledge, there aren't coyotes in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then also there are other neighborhoods where there are shootings. Mm. And people are facing that kind of reality Mm -hmm. to be able to step out of their home onto the street to go Mm -hmm. for a walk to the grocery store, Mm -hmm. even in the middle of the day, can Mm -hmm. feel... Yeah, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And I think that when you can't let things go, when you can't imagine your life without things, losing those things can feel like it's the end. It can feel like life isn't worth living anymore. And so oftentimes, if you can be more flexible with your life and you can say, like, my life can look a lot of different ways. My life can be over and maybe that's okay. That might seem strange to people listening right now. It's like, Cyrus, did you just say death can be something that you're not afraid of? And I believe that's true. I believe that death can be something that you're not afraid of. So if you can be flexible in the way that you think about your life, you can open yourself up to seeing life as a challenge, seeing life as a growth opportunity, as a series of experiences and things that you can learn from and grow from. And so if you can think about life that way, it can actually be something that invigorates you When you think about, oh my goodness, my neighborhood is dangerous, this is going to be a real challenge in order to create meaning in my life. Instead of thinking, how can I keep myself safe? You might actually think about, how can I change my neighborhood? And how can I go and reach out? How can I go and participate with community groups or make it safe for my neighbor to actually get to the grocery store? How can I be a part of a solution in this neighborhood? This is a huge challenge. So then instead of being afraid of it, you're actually being part of the solution for it and fighting back against it, so to speak. And that can all of a sudden change it from, I need to protect myself, 
to, I'm not worried about myself, I'm actually trying to protect the kids in the neighborhood, I'm trying to protect the next generation, I'm trying to make this world a better place. And that can all of a sudden be something that is very invigorating for people. I see that, and people are activating in that realm. They just haven't maybe put it in this Mm. spot, in this picture. For example, they're activated in the realm of Mm anti-terrorism. They're not going to let a terrorist act shut down their lives. Mm. Most people in that situation are going to still step out of their homes and they're going to still put on a smile Mm -hmm. for other people to see and for them to be a light. And they're not going to let the darkness consume them. Mm-hmm. And they are, in that realm, pushing back. Yeah. So I see it like that. One of the things that's really important to being able to switch to a more challenge-oriented, growth-oriented mindset when you're thinking about this is to be able to still have hope. If you feel like there is no hope for my neighborhood, no matter what anybody does, there is no hope, I'm going to be killed, nobody can change this, then you are more likely to experience depression or dread or freezing, like you'll freeze your response and you'll be immobilized. So hope is something that's very important for people to be able to believe that things can improve and that the world can become a better place. So that's kind of one of these factors here that can actually make you go into a crisis and actually be able to be part of the solution, to be able to thrive even in a crisis and experience it almost as an adventure. I love that picture that you painted with the true beautiful story of you and your kids together in the woods and there might be a bear Mm -hmm. and you were there as their example and also that that's for us. We Mm -hmm. have that. Mm -hmm. There might be a bear but we have where we are not walking alone Mm. and we can very quickly have very close to us a comfort and a reassurance with God Mm -hmm. in that place. I heard this beautiful story that there was this lady who was walking down a dark alley and the next day she found out that someone in that alley had been raped and that the time of that was right around the time she was walking Mm. and when she gave her testimony to the police that she was in the area and that she could vouch for having seen this person there that followed this description they had wondered about why he hadn't Mm. attacked her attacked her Mm. and the way that I heard this story was that he had said he had seen her with other people she wasn't alone oh wow and she said she was alone Mm -hmm. and so I believe in angels, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but even having that, there Mm -hmm. might be a bear, but here is my dad Mm. and he's going before me and he's surrounding me with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like you're saying, like we all have the opportunity to have that hope walk before us. We all have that ability to walk with somebody bigger, braver, somebody who is in control. And we have that with our community around us. We have that with loving examples, people that we can connect to, being connected in your community. And you have that spiritually as well. You can connect with God. You can connect with something that's in control. And that's where a lot of people do, especially in crises. Oftentimes people can manage, you know, oh, today I lost my toothbrush or something like this. You can manage the disappointments of everyday things. But oftentimes when people get into real trouble, when they face death, when they face real significant loss, that's when, even when people don't have spiritual beliefs, that's when these spiritual beliefs become something they start to think about because it's helped so many people walk through these things. And you could look at that like, well, people are using that to help themselves through difficult times. and Like a crutch. Like a crutch. You could also look at it like we weren't made to manage those things without that, that we were made to have help in order to go through the crisis. We weren't designed to walk on the path alone. 
And so you could go either way. I personally believe that we weren't designed to walk the path alone. I believe that we function. I think psychology backs this up. Why do people function better when they have a spiritual walk that they take seriously? And I think that there's a lesson there for us. And you could take that the way you'd like, but I think that there's an opportunity there for you to have a different kind of response when you're in a crisis. Absolutely. And I know that part of the story with that gal was that she had asked God to be with her Mm -hmm. and keep her safe. And then she walked in the feeling of that safety. Mm -hmm. So there's also that, the receiving comfort. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is available to me. I'm going to take it as I take my step out Mm -hmm. of the house onto the street and not panic. Mm -hmm. That is my comfort. And so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, and it's amazing how that can give you so much courage when you have that going with you. And that's such a beautiful story of protection from disaster. But we know that many of us people in the world are going through a disaster where it actually did hit them. They weren't spared from it. So whether you're going into a place where there could be a bear or you're going into a place where you've been attacked by a bear and hurt by a bear, both of those, having that hope, having something walk with you through that challenge of recovery, which can be so overwhelming for people at times, again, is a helpful thing. All of these things are still there. You can look at it like a challenge, but you can have hope through it and you can prepare for it. And this might seem odd to people. You can prepare by actually imagining it in advance, but so many people do imagine different disasters and what would my life be like if this and this happened? And what would we do in the fire drill? And it's okay to think through those things. It's okay to go and write your eulogy for yourself or to write your life story, what you would like it to look like, and to think about your life in those big terms. And what if disaster happened? How would I respond? Those are okay things to do. Play the story out to the end Mm -hmm. and bring peace to that end. Mm -hmm. Do both. You know, as you're walking through it, it may feel crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like it's a lot to think about. And walk through it, talk through it, and then be determined to get to a peaceful mm-hmm. place in whatever that end is. Mm-hmm. And then the end won't control you or the fear, mm-hmm. the anxiety of it. Yeah. And so if it were a natural disaster, mm-hmm. what could possibly be? Mm-hmm. Not that we want to all of a sudden bring it. No. Just over imagine no. it and now start no. picturing it. You don't have it to desire it. it <laughs> you just... don't. You don't have to make it happen. We don't want to like it. (laughs) That's not necessary. Yeah. In saying that, that's maybe a little bit spooky kooky. You don't have to play games with power. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. If I think about it, now the power is there. Mm -hmm. I have given it control Mm -hmm. to take over. And yes, in your mind, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) I remember when I was in graduate school and I was stressed about my exams. I would imagine myself up on the stage going up to get my diploma, my PhD, I was imagining myself going up there and getting that and saying, no, I don't want it. And I I don't worry when the day came, I took it. (laughs) But I was doing that to say to myself, to reassure myself. And it's like, I don't need this in order to have a good life. I don't need this in order to be valid or meaningful. I can have a meaningful life without this degree. So I don't need to be anxious as I go into this test or as I write this essay or as I study. Like I could be at peace because it wasn't in control of me. It wasn't a disaster. It would just be a different life. It would be a different challenge. And I do that still. I think about my life. Whenever I have something amazing happen, I'm like, oh, that's so amazing. And every once in a while, I'll think about what would my life be like without this, without that. And it's okay. You can experience those challenges. It's difficult. You don't want it. You don't don't necessarily try to make it happen. But especially when you have a faith, when you can walk and you can have peace in the loss. You can have peace in a different kind of life. Mm -hmm. You can have meaning that is beyond people's ability to take away. Mm -hmm. People can't take away that meaning when you have that spiritual walk. And that's been reassuring for me 
But I do still encourage people, whatever your faith, it's good to be able to really contemplate what that life would be like if you went through different challenges. Yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for this time again and getting prepared (laughs) Mm. in so many ways and just even thinking through. And I hope this helped people today. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was fun. Well, that was an honor to get to spend that time with you. Appreciate you tuning in. Please check out more of Dr. Cyrus at maplecrestchurch.ca and at drcyrusdirksen.com. Thanks again and tune in next time for Bridging the Gap. I'm Marianne Rose.